I do hate the idea that we don't exist beyond death and that we are erased. And um, there's, there's a great line I heard somebody said once that you, you die twice, once when you stop breathing and once when people stop talking about you. Hello, listener. My name is V, the voice of Pod, and I am the host of Podcaster. Podcaster is a show where I ask podcast creators a number of random questions. Then they give spontaneous, open and honest answers about life and the podcast they have created. Hello, Podcaster. Hello. Please introduce yourself and your podcast to our listeners. So my name is Danny Robbins, and I am currently making a podcast called The Battersea Poltergeist, which tells the story of a haunting in 1956 in South London. And we're doing it through the medium of drama and documentary together, which I guess is a bit unusual. I don't feel like I've heard a show like this before out there. Thank you for joining us, Danny. How are you today? Uh, I'm very good today, thank you. Um, I am uh, in my shed, which has played quite a role in the podcast Uh, because we've been recording it during Covid I've been having to record it at home and I've been relegated down to the the shed in the bottom of the garden so that's where I am right now. Are you ready? Uh, I, uh, I, I think I am ready yeah. Great let's begin. Why did you decide to start your podcast? I made a series called Haunted a couple of years back, which told real people's ghost stories. So it was people who felt they'd had a ghostly experience and they told me their story. And then we explored it together and tried to see if we could find any reasons for it. And, you know, it was all about, I guess, approaching things in a very open-minded way. So I think the series was equally enjoyed by believers and skeptics. And one story landed on my lap whilst making that, which very clearly couldn't make a single episode. It was just too big, too sprawling and too bizarre. And that was this story that I've gone on to tell, the Battersea Poltergeist. I got this phone call from a guy called Alan Murdy, who's um, one of the big cheesers of ghost hunting. He's a guy who's involved in the Society for Psychical Research and was the chairman of the Ghost Club, the, the oldest ghost hunting body in the world. And he said to me, there's this case, there's a box of files back from the 1950s by the original investigator and the woman it happened to is still alive and would like to talk to you. So I talked to Shirley Hitchings, the the woman who was a teenager in 1956 and is now 80. And she told me her story 65 years on and I was blown away and instantly hooked. So that's why I'm making the podcast. It was talking to this woman and and just feeling so excited about the story that, that she had and wanting to tell it. What part of your podcast series do you still think about today? The the thing that really sticks with me is that it's built a community around it. And actually, I wasn't prepared for that at all. I I thought that we'd have some people enjoying it. But what's happened has sprung up that all, all across the world, people seem to be embarking on their own detective quests trying to solve the case. And I was told that Battersea Library have now got a corner of the library set aside to this podcast because so many people have been contacting them asking them for old maps and documents about the area where the haunting took place so I've loved that I've loved watching that develop and I've particularly loved the fact that even though people are very divided in what they think about the case and we've got these hashtags of team believer and team skeptic it's all been really respectful and actually there's not been a kind of 
that, that debate that you see on Twitter and social media in general a lot about you're wrong, I'm right, I hate you and, you know, all that kind of thing. It, it's just that's not been there. It's been very respectful and people have really been open minded, embracing other people's opinions and having really strong views on the case. But but always talking to each other nicely. So that's what will stick with me most, I think, that sense of a community being built around it. And that was, for me, one of the things that I really, really wanted to do because I've watched, oh, sorry, I've, I've, I've listened to true crime podcasts and watched how they have built a community around them. And you get that brilliant interactivity of people wanting to get involved and help solve the case. And so taking a, a, a paranormal case, and it's from the 50s, but we've been able to approach it and make it feel very fresh, I think, that people are going with us on this journey, looking for clues, trying to work out, is this a haunting or a hoax? So really, for me, that, that's, that's the thing I will take away. It's been a great story, but I've loved the way that people have, have embraced the story and made it their own. When did you last feel embarrassed? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, I don't know. When did I last feel embarrassed? Um, I... I felt very awkward having to talk to Shirley, who's the woman at the heart of our ghost story, when I had to talk to her about one aspect of the case where it looked like possibly she might have been involved in faking a part of the case. And I had to sort of ask her flat out, did you do that? You know, and, and um, so that, that was very awkward and uncomfortable for me. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, em embarrassment, I mean, you know, I... I I, I, I feel like I'm sort of somebody who, who doesn't embarrass too easily. But um, yeah, that was the last time I feel really awkward. I guess that's my answer. What's your favourite movie? My favourite movie? That is a really good question. I mean, I love horror films and I watched a lot of horror films before making this series just because I kind of really wanted to embrace myself in a sort of stylistic language of making people jump. Uh, so like, you know, Get Out is one of my favorite horror films. Uh, the Exorcist is a film that still has the power to shock me. And, and I'll always remember leaving the cinema, having watched it and walking home with my girlfriend at that time. And she suddenly heard some banging. Somebody was doing some building work in her house and went, and she just ran off down the street. And I thought that is the power of a good movie. If it can make you that scared. So, um, The Exorcist would definitely be up there as one of my favorite films, but then on a completely different tip, I, <laughs> in fact, when was I last embarrassed? I'm embarrassed telling you this now. I love the Police Academy films. I'm a big fan of the Police Academy films. Uh, and um, so that, that's my sort of guilty pleasure. That, and and I, I was a kind of real closet Chevy Chase fan. So um, the, the National Lampoon films, I just love European vacation and vacation, you know, yeah. so. I kind of, I've got a big um, soft spot in my heart for that kind of American screwball comedy that's been taken on now by the likes of Ben Stiller and Will Ferrell. I, you know, I watched the Eurovision film on Netflix the other day, which I think has divided people, but I really loved it. I, you know, give me a Will Ferrell film and I'm, I'm generally happy. So things like, you know, Blades of Glory, Zoolander, I don't know, I, I sort of feel slightly embarrassed admitting that and maybe I've blown my credibility, but um, yeah, there you go. Are you a caller or a texter? I'm a caller. I've been plaguing my co-producer with calls. I call him every sort of five minutes sometimes. Um, so I, I like to speak. Yeah, I'm definitely more of a caller. What was the first podcast you ever listened to? 
Really good question. I remember making a podcast for the Times newspaper uh, talking about culture. And I, I kind of remember making that at a time when I didn't listen to podcasts. And I, I sort of, I wasn't quite sure what they were. <laughs> and I was making one myself. Uh, so that's probably the first one I listened to and I actually made it. But um, I, I, the first one I really remember connecting with was Serial. And, and I think that that was a point where I still wasn't very au fait with the medium then. I, I remember listening to it, going to the website and clicking play on the website and listening to it for the website. That was a point where I wasn't sort of wandering around listening to it on my on my iPhone. Um, so Serial, and I, and I remember really clearly meeting up in a pub with some mates and talking about the, the case. And I think if there's one thing that I had in my head and in my heart when I was making Battersea Poltergeist was wanting to do for a ghost story what Serial did for you know, for true crime, you know, that that addictive buzz of wanting to get to the next episode, you know, and, and Serial was great at that point, a uh, point of view, you know, I remember just desperately wanting the next episode to come out. And we've got very used to, um, you know, getting all our episodes in one go, you know, the kind of the Netflix approach of, of let's just release everything in one go and you binge it and you move on to the next. And I was very keen with Patsy Poltergeist to not do that and to have that thing of releasing one an episode and making people wait and whilst some people have cursed me for that I think a lot of people have said that's been a really nice thing and actually here we are all stuck in lockdown with the days seeming the same and to have something to look forward to is nice I think and and to to make an appointment with something to have a kind of a little you know day in your diary where you're like oh yeah the next step of what I'm enjoying is coming out um so yeah so serial sort of set the benchmark I think for that what does love feel like? Ah, a wonderful question. Um, well, I think love is a many splendid thing. Um, I think love can be all sorts of things. I think that initial buzz of first love, that incredible excitement is an incredible thing where you, you're wanting to talk to that person nonstop and tell them everything about yourself. And then love changes, it, it transitions, it migrates, it changes into something else as you spend in the case of me and my wife, like over 10 years together now, you know, over 10 years married. And um, it changes into something where, you know, that person is your your best friend and you're still excited by them and being in their company, but it's not that same thing of bombarding the person with, you know, I want to talk to you nonstop. And then of course you've got the love of your children. I've got, I've got two kids now and, you know, that incredible love and pride of seeing people who are similar to you but different and, and taking pleasure and sharing things with them you know I, one of the things that has allowed me to make this series is them being very patient and and really good about the fact that I've been locked away making this and being really supportive and so that you know that that has been love as well you know that you know their love in helping me make this and my my love in sort of feeling proud that they're a part of it as well you know so um yeah I mean love is great isn't it have you ever thought that you're the smartest person in the room? Well, I certainly think that now. I'm alone in this room. <laughs> so, um, definitely, I'm the smartest person in my shed right now. Um, I, uh, well, I mean, yes, definitely. I mean, I've certainly been involved in conversations where I was like, what on earth are the rest of you talking about? Um, I, I think that one thing I think you learn in life is that smartness comes in all shapes and sizes. And I think that... Um, my dad is, uh, you could definitely class him as an intellectual. He's a university lecturer. But I think he's someone who often looks down on people and can be a bit of a snob about 
people who aren't kind of operating at the same sort of highbrow level of academia as him. And, and I actually, you know, when I've read the books he's written, it feels like they're, you know, they're almost written in a different language. They're so sort of full of academic terms and, and sort of, you know, kind of baffling language. And I, I sort of feel like, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm somebody who kind of appreciates different kinds of knowledge. I, I like the fact that somebody can be brilliant with their hands or if, you know, like brilliant with their feet, if they're like a footballer. And I, I think cleverness comes in different forms. And I think uh, too many people sort of prize just an ability to kind of wow people with words. And, and certainly words is what I've fallen into as a writer and a presenter. But I love it when I meet people who are clever in, you know, making furniture or, you know, sort of painting a picture or just, you know, being great with people. I, I, I've made friends recently with my son's football coach and he's absolutely brilliant with children and, and you know, one of the most impressive communicators with kids I've ever seen. So if, for me, when I'm with him, he's the smartest person in the room in the way he deals with kids, you know. So so I, I, I that's my take home, I guess, that smartness comes in all shapes and sizes and, and you know, always look for the smartness in other people. What is your unpopular opinion? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, what is my unpopular opinion? Um, um, well, every so often I watch or see something that everybody else is really, really enjoying and I just don't get it. So like, you know, I've had moments where like, I was so excited about Blair Witch Project when it came out and everyone was saying it's so brilliant. And then I watched and I was just like, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. And, and I've had that with a few kind of things which have been sort of seismic cultural moments and I've just kind of not got it. And you always wonder if it's about catching it on the wrong day or just being in the wrong mood or if it's too much build up to something. And, uh, you know, you see that with other people. I mean, you know, I've made things where it seems like everyone enjoys it, but then you get that one dissenting voice and that's, that's the one that sticks in your head. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, un unpopular opinions are, um, you know, are often, you know, one person's popular opinion is somebody else's unpopular opinion. So uh, <laughs> I keep my opinions to myself. <laughs> Coke or Pepsi? Uh, well, very rarely in both cases. I mean, I, I probably have a Coke over a Pepsi, but not often, not often. Um, I, I, I'm a bit of a, I was once <laughs> described in a review of an Edinburgh show I did as being like Tigger on amphetamine. So I'm quite naturally kind of energetic and buoyant. And I, I never ever drank coffee at all until I was um, a dad for the second time. When I had my second son, I was just so tired. I tried coffee for the first time and I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And um, had a period of drinking a lot of iced coffees and then really decided it didn't agree with me and have kind of now backed away from caffeine and don't have it. So I'd have a Coke very occasionally as a pick-me-up, um, but uh, <laughs> mostly it's herbal teas. Describe your podcast in three words. Well, the easy way to say that is the Battersea Poltergeist, but um, I would say um, true ghost story. And you can take from that what you will, because obviously some people believe in ghosts and others don't, but there's a lot of truth at the heart of this. Something scared this family in a big way. Whether you believe it's a ghost or whether you believe it's the power of people's minds, I think, you know, it's hard to argue that there is a ghost in some way, whether it's the product of the family's minds or, you know, literally a dead person. There is a ghost at the heart of this. So true ghost story. 
What was the last album you listened to? You know, I listen to pretty exclusively Swedish music at the moment because I make this other series called The Cold Swedish Winter for Radio 4. And we use Swedish music uh, all throughout it. Um, but, you know, s- s- Swedish contemporary bands like, you know, Licky Lee and First Aid Kit and all sorts of way more obscure people. So um, what was the last album I listened to? Like, I- I'm trying to think, I-, I just like really embracing loads of kind of new Swedish acts. I'm really interested in a band called Say Lulu. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think the last album. I, I should really check my Spotify. Let's have a look. Should we actually look at my Spotify and see what the last thing I listened to was? Um, it, it tends to be all Scandi though. I'm very kind of relentlessly Scandi. I've hit this period of my life, you know, that period of your life where you sort of slip out of being up to date with popular music. And I can tell you like no, up-to-date good bands from England or America, but I can just sort of bore you silly with Swedish music. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm actually looking down my Spotify as we speak. So this is happening in real time. And I know the tension is killing you. It's unbearable. I'm gonna say the last album I listened to was Say Lulu, uh, Lucid Dreaming. There you go. So check them out. They're, they're half Swedish, half Australian band, I think. And there's a really, really nice, cover that they do of um, ABBA, uh, Lay All Your Love On Me by ABBA. Do you dwell on regrets? I'm scared of regrets, I think. I think that's something that sort of colours my thinking on projects sometimes, that I'm worried, if I do this, will I regret it? So I dwell on regrets in in the future tense. I dwell on the fact that it could become a regret. Um, I don't really dwell on regrets in the past, I think. I generally have a very optimistic view of life, thinking, oh, well, you know, there's a reason for everything. Um, I'm a big believer in fate, but I, I, I do definitely worry. Is that, you know, what they, uh, Shakespeare said of Hamlet, uh, thinking too precisely on the event. I often find myself overthinking things because I'm worried it might be the wrong decision. I'll regret it later. What's your favourite takeaway meal? Hmm, I, 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 you know what? I've got a neighbour who's the, the, the mother of a, uh, a, um, kid in my son's class who makes an amazing curry and and is um you know brilliant at biryanis and so actually we've been ordering food from her every friday night and um so that's my favorite takeaway meal at the moment actually her her curries apart from property and a car what's the most expensive thing you've bought never bought a car can't drive uh, i have bought a property the most expensive thing i've bought other than that i really don't spend much money on things i'm, I'm sort of not a very materialistic person at all um probably a sofa um spent quite a bit of money on that um I, but yeah i don't know I mean, my laptop uh is probably kind of the most precious object i have because i spend all my time on it writing um so I guess that's what I've invested most money into. But I'm, yeah, I'm not really a things person. What happens to us after we die? Hmm. Um, that's clearly the subject of my podcast at the moment. So, um, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, but um, I don't know. I don't know. And it's something I think about a lot. I, I think part of my interest in ghosts stems from a fear of death. I had this moment when I was in my early 20s at university where I thought I was dying. It was a panic attack. And, um, and it was something that really scared me at the time. And I, I did 
have a moment where you know my heart was kind of beating out of my chest and I was kind of hallucinating and I really thought I was dying and that colored my whole life for a long time afterwards it gave me a real very very potent fear of death that sort of still persists and um you know there's a, there's a book by Don DeLillo um called uh, White Noise which if you haven't read is is a brilliant book one of my favorite books and the lead character in that and his wife both have a very 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 strong fear of death which kind of is debilitating and takes over their entire lives. And I think, yeah, I think a big part of why I'm interested in the supernatural and ghosts is, is that desire to try and seek answers on that. And, and I, I do hate the idea that we don't exist beyond death and that we are erased. And um, there's, there's a great line I heard, somebody said once that you, you die twice, once when you stop breathing and once when people stop talking about you. And so, you know, you want people to keep talking about you, but you, you want to play a part in the lives of people that you know afterwards. So that, that idea that you are looking down on them and somehow connected to them is an incredibly attractive, romantic idea. And I can see why so many people sign up for that. I mean, with my science head on, I find a lot of those ideas harder to believe, but my romantic head, my, 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 my head says maybe, no, we don't live on after death. And my heart says, I hope we do. Hotel or camping? Hotel, definitely hotel. I've had some camping experiences that were truly brutal. Glastonbury, what year was that? It's maybe 2008. I was there for John Ronson's Radio 4 programme and arrived and um, I'd been told I was going to be in a, in a Winnebago and having quite an uncomfortable time. Turned out that uh, John wanted the Winnebago to himself. And uh, so I was in a one-man tent in the worst weather Glastonbury's ever experienced. It was like the Somme. Uh, raining non-stop and it was just miserable and um, so that kind of put me off camping for life uh, that and the uh, incident of staying with the family in a gypsy caravan which had no door in really cold weather so hotels all the way for me I, I had actually had a weird sort of uh, offshoot career for a while in travel writing I, I used to work for travel channel presenting and also had a column in the Ryanair magazine um, don't judge me <laughs> And um, and so I did a lot of foreign travel and was staying in really lovely hotels. Some, I mean, I'm, I had my whole honeymoon paid for from writing uh, a travel article about it. And we were staying in the place that was like kind of 2,000 euros a night. And I mean, once you've experienced that kind of luxury, it's very hard to go back to anything else. So, yeah, I mean, give me a luxury hotel and I'm happy. But, you know, I think part of the coronavirus thing that I found hard is not traveling and not being able to go and explore. You've qualified for the Olympic Games. What event will you be competing in? Well, I have to say this is news for, to me. I'd not realised I'd qualified for the Olympic Games, but that is very exciting. Um, I would be competing in fencing because I did fencing for a couple of years when I was a sixth former. Me and my mate Tom joined this local fencing group with lots of old men. And um, we used to fence and I absolutely loved that. And it's something that I've always... You're talking about regrets earlier. I regret not keeping going with that because I really really enjoyed that um, and it appealed to the the kind of secret musketeer in me. Do you think you've achieved the goals you set yourself when you first began your podcast? I mean yeah I mean I, I, I'd set the goals of making a, a good story and being truthful to the story and and, and that the woman at the heart of it Shirley whose story this is you know she was the person who experienced these strange things as a teenager and is now telling me about the aged 80. I wanted her to still 
you know, be happy with me and still want to talk to me at the end of the series. And, and you go on a journey with this person and you're telling their story. And, and with a ghost story, clearly there are some people out there who are going to not want to believe it's a story, a ghost, uh, uh, you know, a, a genuinely ghost, um, <laughs> lost the power to speak, a, a genuine haunting. Um, so that for me was a really important thing that she was happy with it. So yes, you know, I spoke to her today. She's listened to the last episode. I'm really pleased to say she is happy. Um, in terms of like the response to it, I mean, I, I hadn't dreamed really of, of the way it's been received and the fact that it's, you know, it's been number one drama podcast across the world, including in the States. And, and um, you know, it hit number two in the charts here. I mean, I didn't anticipate that and I didn't anticipate the sort of the reach it would have across the world. So, so yeah, so I mean, that's sort of exceeded some of the goals I set, but you know, at heart, I mean, you know, I, I'm somebody who enjoys telling stories. You want to tell a good story and, and, and you want people to connect with that story. So that was the goal I set. And, and yeah, I mean, I've, it's been really heartwarming for me that people have, have enjoyed it. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you gonna call? I definitely wouldn't call my wife because she's such a scaredy cat. Um, the, the other day, um, we just bought some blinds for my shed and I pulled these blinds down. And so she couldn't see the light from my shed and she presumed I wasn't in the shed and I wasn't in the house. So then she convinced herself that I had been murdered in the garden. And her response to this was not to come and check if I'd been murdered, but to lock the door, the back door of the house so the murderer couldn't get in. And then to call me and, and, and I, was, I answered and was like, hello? And she was like, oh, you're okay. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just working in the shed. And she told me what had happened. And I was like, all right, thanks. Well, thanks for coming to check if you could find my murdered body. Um, so I definitely wouldn't call her. The person I would call is my next door neighbor, who is this brilliant uh, Italian man in his early 70s, who's like a kind of father figure and just helps ev everything. Like he came to pick my wife up with me from the hospital because I don't drive. Like when she'd had our, our kid, we drove there together. He helped me build the shed in the garden. <laughs> you know, he's, he's the man I turn to when I ever need any sort of practical advice. So if I found something strange in the neighborhood, I would call Leo Fabry, my neighbor. That's all the questions completed. How did you find the experience? Right, it's great. This is an egomaniac's dream to just talk about themselves nonstop with no interruptions from anybody other than the computerized voice. So sometimes it's actually about talking about these things. You talk it out and it's only when you're actually articulating it in words that you start to realize the impact of different things on you. Um, you know, and I think doing interviews about this show people asking me if I believe in ghosts it's been quite good to think about not only do I believe in them but also why am I interested in them and you know talking about that moment before where I had my panic attack as a younger man you know exploring these kind of things you realize that you are a product of all these things there's that quote from Tennyson the poet to, to get poetic on you here Tennyson the poet in his poem Ulysses I am part of all that I have met and all experience is an arch where through gleams the untraveled world whose margin fades forever and forever as I sail. And I've always loved that. I am part of all that I've met. I sort of feel like everybody I've interviewed, everybody I've met feeds into stuff and they all form a little part of that tapestry that is you. Thank you again, Danny, for being a guest on Podcaster. It was nice to meet you. It was very nice to meet you, robotic computer voice. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcaster. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review. 
You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at podcasterpod. This podcast was brought to you by the Chancer Collective. Take care and until next time, goodbye.